Welcome to Origin Gate's daily podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Ray Hughes. I'll be sharing with you today. Well, me and my sweetie got to do the unthinkable this last week. We got to sneak away and over into the mountains. And, um, you, uh, you know, we, we've sort of been sequestered, as you know, for about two and a half, almost three years now. And we've sort of been cocooned away through all the craziness that has become life. And um, got to go over into the mountains, got to m- meet new friends and see old friends. And and um, also had some time in beautiful places, like around Maryville, Tennessee, there in the Smokies, and then up in, uh, in the Blue Ridge, in between the Blue Ridge and the, the Smokies, up around Johnson City, Tennessee. And we got to drive around a little bit and uh, f- find places that my relatives lived seasons of their life and over there, and it was just incredible uh, to get to get away, and, you know, and and, um, and and at times just be where we could think a little different, you know. And uh, th- thoughts are are just inner questions and inner statements, senses, knowings, contemplations meditations, whatever you want, wherever you want to go with that. It's that uh, inner dialogue, inner conversation that happens when you get in those places that really speak to you, you know. And I think one of the reasons so many people suffer from stress is not that they're doing stressful things necessarily, but that they allow so little time for silence in their life. And we had moments of silence and also great moments of just joy and exhilaration from what we were seeing when the sun would hit the leaves and as the sun was coming up on the leaves early mornings and sun going down in the in the evenings and sitting looking at 120 mile views and wow and what a beautiful time of year to get to do it and um, but uh, anyway let let me let me uh, share a couple things I want to let you know about today. Here's a little piece of writing. Today I stood by an old tree looking back. I found some yet-to-comes lying silently in the leaves. The kind that leave you thinking about it all one more time. There's something sacred about looking back, but there's something beautiful about dreaming forward. I shuffled my feet in the rustic reminders and stepped toward hope. I paused and listened as the wind passed shyly through the bare limbs, and it reminded me that truth only sings songs that we were born to hear. I walked away wondering how an old piece of driftwood found a place to lay down so far away from a river. Well, it made me smile, and I don't know why. Some days just feel more like answers than they do questions. I love those kind of days that just feel like answers. And so everything that you uh, experience like that can really, I think, can, can really contribute to taking that stress away and enjoying the inner questions rather than the stressful questions and decisions that have to be made and tasks that have to be performed. I think uh, places like old trees and creek banks and and 
renegade driftwood are really wonderful distractions. You know, one of my favorite kind of favorite hero is one of the another one of those people that very few people would would know about. He was a fellow that lived back in. He was born in 1862, and he died in 1931. If that helps, now I'm going to give you some of his life story, some of the seasons of his life, and I'm going to probably get a few dates wrong or maybe a birthday off here or there. My facts may not be absolutely accurate to the writing, but it, it's um, it's his story nonetheless, and it's his story as I remember it. Because uh, I I haven't read his story in a lot of years, but but he he is always um, one that I lean back to when I think through life. Because he was born in 1862, like I said, and he was a brilliant young guy. I think he went to to uh, Princeton. And I know he was connected with Yale. He might have may have even taught at Yale. And uh, but a bright, articulate academic who had so much promise. And he was uh, he was a librarian. I think he was born in Pennsylvania, and uh, but then he traveled around a bit because of his because of his job and his expertise. And being the academic that he was, he was hired to build uh, a library for somebody in Italy. For example, back in the day, if you were rich folks, typically you would have you you know you didn't have the, we didn't have the technology that we have today, so they. If they're going to get in touch with the outside world, it would be through these beautiful process of a thing called reading. And so they would want to build these vast libraries so that they and their children and children's children, if you want to go to France, well, you just reach up and take the book and let your imagination and wonder carry you anywhere in the world. You can go to France, you can go to Italy, you can go uh, to America, or you could go to Alaska, you know, Russia, wherever you want to be. In whatever climate you wanted to experience, you would experience through the eyes and the words of the of the writers. And then, of course, your imagination would take you there, as I said. But my point is, is he was a brilliant academic, and but he carried, he had really high stress responsibilities. You know, building a library like that. Then uh, from there, I think he came back to the United States ultimately wound up over there in St. Louis, building the St. Louis Library and Museum. Really high stress, though. And all along the way, he became an alcoholic, and that was the way he dealt with his, with all the conflict in his life. And he had a wife and some kids, and, and he loved his family dearly, uh, but the, the bottle got a hold of him. And he finally came to the point to where he was losing uh, his future to the bottle, and so his father encouraged him to uh, go somewhere uh, that, uh, you know, brought him home, brought him home from St. Louis and, and uh, with a mental breakdown and said, you got to go somewhere so that you can find yourself again. And he did. He chose, he just created a line on the map and he took off and he came down into the Appalachian Mountains from Ohio was, is where he traveled from. And he made his way down into those mountains and very quickly he fell in love with the beauty of those mountains. He fell in love with the people. He felt he was intrigued with the lives that were being lived in such isolated places. He became friends with moonshiners and bear hunters and learned important things to survive in those mountains. Like if you're going to survive around bear, you better uh, have some bear fighting skills. And, 
and he learned all about how to, to what were the best bear hunting dogs and and he learned that if you're going to run from a bear don't run uphill because a bear is like a quarter horse he's got the mo- that big rump and that big motor in the back and he can go uphill faster than you can so if you're going to run from a bear make sure you're going downhill because he has to take it slow and you have a better chance of getting away. And if you're going to fight one now, you got to realize that they all fight southpaw. So if you ever square off with a bear, remember now, fight him like he's left-handed. Uh, he also learned about, uh, you know, blood root and, and yellow root. He learned about ginseng. He learned about all the flowers, all the trees, uh, every species. It, it, the whole place came alive to him as if he were in Eden. And it was so beautiful to him to uh, have friends on a first-name basis, which would typically would have been extremely su- suspicious of him and, and actually re- would have rejected him being a foreigner, you know, a foreigner coming out from somewhere else, as they would have said, because they were an isolated, backward people. But that was part of the beauty of it all, as far as he was concerned. And then he found a gift that was always there and always desired to be explored was his writing. And so he just started writing their stories, telling their stories, and and really telling them in a beautiful way. And he began to demonstrate what he loved most came through in his writing. He, as he demonstrated his love for the place and for the people, and for the culture, and for the strange and unique nuances of the way they live their lives. And celebrating them, his writing made its way out of those mountains at a very important time in history, because what they realized was here comes the timber barons down in there, you know, around the turn of the century. I think he he sort of landed in those mountains there in 1904, so here come the timber barons, and here come the coal barons, and and here come all of these, um, you know, big corporations sending their people down out of the northeast and all that industrialization that was going on. Well, they needed more resources, so they were coming after them, and they were gonna they were gonna strip the the gold and the and the coal and the and the forests and everything else. They were just going to take advantage of the resources like had happened so many times before and, the, and then the way they would go. But you know what? That was not able to happen. And it re- the reason it wasn't is because what Horace, his name is Horace Kephart, and what Horace found beautiful now began to be beautiful to others because of the way he celebrated what he found to be beautiful. And pretty soon, others began to catch on. And short version of this story is, is because of he and a few others, but especially his writing, and it's, it's, a, it's an incredible book called Our Southern Highlanders, and I would encourage you to get it. And that book presented that culture in such a way that everybody began to realize the value of what was there. And so, as a result, uh, the Smoky Mountain National Forest was established and therefore limited the ability of greed to come in and destroy such a beautiful place that was home to so many and so much wildlife and so much um, horticulture and 
and the rivers and the, uh, all of the beauty of it that's there for us today. And it's hundreds of thousands of acres. And of course, now in 1931, uh, he still had not conquered his need for the drink. And he and one of his uh, friends, another writer actually, uh, got a bootlegger to take him to, to get some whiskey up there in the mountains outside of Bryson City, North Carolina. And on the way back, the fellow, the taxi that was driving them, ran over the side of one of those ravines and they were killed. And so there is a plaque and a monument there and he's honored, but very few people have heard of him. And so he's one of those little, one of those kind of lost nuggets in history. But every time you drive through those beautiful smoky mountains, you need to just, you know, thank God and Horace Kephart. Thank God for making it and building it with how it portrays the nature of God. But also remember that uh, that what you're looking at is uh, there as a result of this man who used his gift to celebrate that beauty. And I want to put forth a little bit of a challenge and just ask you today, um, what do you find so beautiful and see in this world that can bring your gift to the forefront of your life in such a way that when you're gone, what are you, what are you going to leave? Could you leave a forest? <laughs> Could you leave a, uh, an understanding of a culture? You might be carrying knowings and, and even God's intentions in your life with your gift, maybe your music, maybe with your art. What, you need to find that thing that takes the stress away and finds the place where silence can find its purest voice in your life. Your songs might be it. Your poetry might be it. Your storytelling might be it. Your art and so on. When I think of those mountains over there, I think how I would see them very differently in my life had it not been for Horace Kephart awakening the way those, uh, I, I see those mountains and feel those mountains because of, again, because of his writing that I read so many years ago. I still remember the, so many of these, those old stories about finding people living back in old shanties with a little smoke coming out of the chimney, and that was the tooth jumper, for example. And you'd go to the old tooth jumper's house if you had a real bad infected tooth or something. He had the ability to take a, take, you, you, you'd take a snort of whiskey, and then he would take a horseshoe nail and a ball peen hammer and remove that tooth in one lick, just like that. And as a result of that, uh, he was considered to be a very highly respected and desirable person in the community because he had that skill. But once you get past all of those uh, unique and sometimes bizarre and quirky characters that, uh, that, that lived in places like that, and boy, and, you, and you, don't you know that there could be some fine entertainment found in the woods out there. But once you get past that, uh, then you start realizing just where you are. And when you find that where you are that makes your heart fully come alive, you might be also finding the who that you are. And uh, I know that happens to me when I'm in places like that. Hey, let's end our chat today with this little piece here that I wrote. It's actually the title of a of a new book of poetry I've done, a, a book of 200 pieces with photographs of the mountains in Scotland and Ireland and Wales and all over Appalachia. 
and the book is called Ever Speaking, and this is sort of the title piece that I wrote for it. The mountains are ever speaking, singing, proclaiming, declaring, and saying. They welcome life and those who love it. They don't fear stillness and silence. They know that their silence awakens our voices. Their beauty speaks, and we whisper back. Rivers look for minstrels born to sing rippling ballads. Cliffs echo and serve the language of poets. Valleys welcome those that stand in awe until whispers shout. Wildflowers surprise heaven and embellish earth. Soft rain sprinkles circles of light on hidden ponds. The whole world longs knowingly and unknowingly to hear what's being said by mountains that are ever speaking. <laughs> 